I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 14. As we come to the conclusion of this particular chapter in the book of Acts, and we are trying to get back into our study in the book of Acts, we can continue on in it. Acts 14, we've covered a couple of verses already, but we're going to go from verses 20 through 28 as our study. But I want to begin reading in verse 19. And I'd like for you all to stand, and if you can, and join me in reading this passage. Acts 14, verses 19 through 28. As we do every Sunday, let's read together and let's read aloud. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word today. We ask for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit. May you indeed strengthen us in your word and help us to understand it, Lord, that we might live our lives in such a way that honors you and blesses you and exalts the name of Jesus and helps us, Lord, to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. And by the way, it is uh, a real blessing to see you and to be in fellowship with you this morning. And if you're here for the first time, we, we do thank the Lord for you and welcome you here today. It's, it is somewhat ironic to make statements such as the following. I would just die for that new job. I'm dying to move to another city, preferably one that has more job opportunities. I'd die if I were chosen for that position. I mean, it seems ironic, especially since dying would certainly keep a person from achieving their desired goal. But in reality, to the world or the secular mindset, dying has nothing whatsoever to do with living, other than the fact that most people believe that dying is the finality to living. As sometimes we've heard, dying is a part of life. 
But to the believer in Jesus Christ, dying has everything to do with living. Dying to the flesh. Dying to self. Dying to the world. These are spiritual and biblical concepts that are found throughout Scripture. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, verse 24, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, there is a, there is a, a, a double idea here in this particular statement that Jesus makes. Because when we say that we deny ourselves, we're actually saying, I'm dying to myself. I'm denying myself and I'm taking up my cross. But if I take up my cross, I'm then taking up something that symbolizes death. And so if anyone desires to come after Jesus, they have to deny themselves and then take up a cross to die daily to follow Jesus. And then in Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So it is necessary then to understand that it is important to be dying to self, to be a follower of Christ. The Apostle Paul understood it this way in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. He said, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he says, By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world has to die to us, but we have to die to the world when we come to Jesus Christ. But I believe that the greatest statement by Paul concerning this idea of dying to self is Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I consider this to be, I I, I suppose, my, my favorite verse of all. I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And and that was Paul's heart, and that was Paul's desire, and that was Paul's uh, passion, to live for Christ. But he understood that to live for Christ, you have to die to yourself, and you have to die to the things of this world, and you have to die to sin, and you have to die unto Christ, to live by Christ. You know that many people live with a fear of dying. I'm sure that many of us in this room have at one time had that fear of death. We didn't like to go to funerals. Maybe you still don't like to go to funerals. But the fact of the matter is, so many people go, they, you know, that's the only time they ever have to deal with death. And so there's that sense of, you know, fearing because we don't know what's beyond, you know, death. Well, as Christians, we know what's beyond death. And if we know Jesus Christ, we know that there is greater life. But the fact of the matter is, the Lord says He wants us to live now for Him. But to do that, we have to die to ourselves. Many people live with that fear of dying, but Paul died daily with a joyful expectation of living forever. But not only that, he died daily to live for Christ until his life was lived out fully for his Master and his Savior. Even the possibility of losing his physical life did not quench the devotion and the dedication of his heart and his mind that, that, that they had in fulfilling the uttermost of his calling in serving Jesus. Years later, to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, when he calls them all together because he 
is on his way to Jerusalem. He, he calls them together and he says this to them. I want to begin reading in Acts 20 verse 22. And he says to them, and, I, and see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. He considered himself to be bound. In other words, this was what God was sending him to do. No matter what anybody else was saying. He said, I am bound. I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Too oftentimes people will not step out in faith, trusting the Lord, because they don't know what's beyond. Therefore, they never exercise their faith. But Paul says, I don't know what's, what, what things are, will happen to me there, except, he says, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying the chains and tribulations await me. And I, and I, and I think of the, uh, the attitude of Paul here, is saying, if you're telling me, you know, if I'm going to get in trouble by going, don't go, I've got to go. But it isn't because you're telling me not to, it's because God's telling me to go. And Paul was more concerned with being obedient to the Lord than hearing the voices of men telling him not to go. And so he says, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying the chains and tribulations await me. He says, this is all that I'm getting. But, he says in verse 24, none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He knew what his calling was. He knew why, what his purpose was in this life. He knew what, what things he had to do to obey the Lord. He knew these things and he said, the things that you're telling me are not even moving me. I must do what God has called me to do. And in doing it, I'm going to have the joy of doing it. Later on, when, when others were pleading with Paul, even Luke would, would be among those who are going to be pleading with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. He would say to them in Acts 21, verse 13, Paul says, and he answers, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you see the attitude of the heart of Paul? I'm ready to die. But it doesn't bother me because I die daily. I take up my cross daily to follow Jesus. I deny myself daily. I go bound, he says. I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Except that the Holy Spirit keeps, you know, reminding me by everybody else telling me, not to go, but I have to go. Let's consider all of this in light of where we've been in the book of Acts. You know, Paul was on what we call his first missionary journey. Along with Barnabas, they've traveled now through an area in modern Turkey, then known as Asia Minor, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. From having preached in Antioch of Pisidia, and then being run out of town, they, they moved on to Iconium where they narrowly escaped being stoned. And then in the city of Lystra, after having first been proclaimed as gods, Paul ended up being stoned and was left for dead. That's where we left off last time. And I just couldn't leave Paul dead. So we need to come back to this particular passage. 
Because something happened. Something happened that no one counted on. Something happened that no one counted on except, uh, you know, especially for the Jews and those who were stoning Paul. What happened? Paul got up. He got up. Now what would you have done? If here you are looking at Paul, thinking he's dead, and he gets up. You know, what happened in that time? Let's, let's consider that. What happened in that time of being in a, in a near-death condition? I, I know that there are those who believe that Paul actually did die, even for a short time, no matter how long that could have been. I know in our day and time, those who are involved in, in emergency services or law enforcement, whatever, sometimes they see this happen where a person may die for a few minutes, a couple of minutes or whatever, and... The EMS comes and they have the machinery, they have the, you know, they have the technology and all of a sudden, you know, they get the heart pumping again and they come back to life. But they've been gone for just a short time. That's quite possible that this could have happened. So we look at, at this, we could either look at it as a near-death condition or a condition that actually took his life. I mean, is it possible that Paul really did die even for that short time? Sure. But let's face it. Stoning was a, was a pretty reliable form of execution. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I know that they weren't picking up little stones like this. I mean, those hurt, but they don't kill you. Unless they dump about four tons worth on top of you. No, they picked up stones. The stones probably heavy enough for them to pick up and then throw upon a person that they might die. It was execution. And so his seemingly lifeless body was dragged out of the city and, and more than likely it was, it was thrown on a refuse heap. That's a lot of times what they did with dead bodies. They would just take them and put them in the garbage dump. Just throw them in there. Especially those that have been executed for whatever crime they may have, com may have committed. And in effect what we're seeing here by Paul's enemies is that they were, they were done with Paul. To them, his ministry finally came to this end. And to the disciples, as few as, as, as they may have been there in Lystra, to them, it came to a tragic end. Or did it really? It is quite possible at this very time that Paul had the experience of which he speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When he says in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 2 through 4, I know a man in Christ... It's interesting how he puts this out because he's really talking about himself. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I, I do not know. Paul's not here giving us any kind of new age uh, advice or, or testimony. This is just how he is understanding. You know, I, I don't know, he says. God knows, though. And that's the important thing. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard in, inexpressible, unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. It is quite possible that at the very moment that they threw Paul's body on that refuse heap, that, that, that the real Paul, the person who lived inside of that body, 
was thrust into the third heaven. And in effect, God was saying to him by this invitation to come and visit. He was saying to Paul, I want to show you what I have in store for you. But it's not for you to tell everyone. This is just for you. He was in paradise and he heard unspeakable things which were not lawful for a man to utter. And how long he was there we don't really know. But we do read in the text that as the body lay there, the disciples gathered around Paul. Now some would say, well maybe they gathered around him and prayed for him. That's possible. But maybe they also gathered around him and they saw the condition that he was in and they began to make plans for him. Plans for his burial. Plans, funeral plans, probably with tears streaming down their faces asking, what should we do? This is, this is overwhelming, this is, this is tragic, we didn't expect this to happen. So in verse 20 again, I'd like for you to look at that verse, it says, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, <laughs> he rose up. And not only did he rise up, he, he went into the city. And I'm wondering if the disciples started saying, you know what, Paul, you don't want to go back there. That's the wrong city, go the other way. They just stoned you over there. But he went into that city. He rose up and he went into the city and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Durba. Now, you might wonder what the disciples were saying among themselves as they're seeing him lie there. Wondering, what should we do? What, what, what's going to be the next step here? Isn't it a pity, they might have thought, isn't it a pity that he had to die right in the midst of his wonderful ministry? If only he could have lived a little bit longer. If only he could have lived a lot longer. And that's the way we are sometimes when we try to face death or deal with death, especially the death of young people. Or people, you know, within the prime of their life, as it were. We oftentimes say, they died too young. Well, that might be the world's perspective or your perspective, but from God's perspective, you die when you die. And He alone knows when. And He has all the reasons and all the purposes for it. We don't understand it all. How can we understand a sovereign God with our finite minds? Especially about death. If only, if only, he could have lived longer. Think, if you will, that at that very moment, as they're going through these thoughts in their minds, Paul suddenly opened his eyes, he rose to his feet, he brushed off his clothes, and he says, Oh, it's all right, my dear brothers and sisters, you'll just have to put off the funeral a little longer. I'm alive. Please don't bury me now. I'm alive. Paul was ready to get going again. And I think that's, this is what we see. He rises up, he goes into the city. Folks, it's telling us something about that passion of dying to live. Of dying to self, to live unto Christ until the very moment that it's God's desire to take that last breath. You see, persecution could not frustrate or prevent Paul because I believe that Paul carried in his heart the very words of Jesus. 
the fact that Paul and Luke were, were, were close companions in the travels, as we'll see later in the book of Acts. But oftentimes Luke and Paul spoke to each other and, 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 and Luke would, would share what he had learned about Jesus and the things that Jesus said. And one of those things that Luke records in Luke 4.43, he says that Jesus said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I've been sent. And if this was Jesus' purpose to go out and preach the gospel, Paul says, that's my purpose. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. Paul says it in a different way, but he says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9.16. He says, "For, for if I preach the gospel... I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. And then he says, yea, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me. Let judgment come upon me if I do not preach the gospel. So he's saying, because for this purpose, I have been sent. You know, we can't say for certain that Paul was completely healed. But we can say that he was miraculously preserved. How do you endure a stoning and rise up and walk into a city? Except by the power of God. Except by the healing power of God. He certainly had in mind... The scars from this incident, when Paul writes to the Galatians and even to the Corinthians as well, in Galatians 6.17, he says, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, he's not so much saying, you know, because the word, if you, you study the scriptures here in the, in the language, the original language, you say, you know, the stigmata of Jesus. We're not talking about some super spiritual thing, you know, that, All of a sudden he's got the very marks. He's talking about the marks of Jesus from the the standpoint of having suffered for Christ and received what he had received for the sake of Christ. And people could see the marks on Paul that he had suffered for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, Speaking of certainly the power of God, the presence of God and all. But he says, we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And notice this, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Christ's sake or for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Simply what Paul is saying is, die to live. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. What does He say? For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. But the most amazing statement here in our text beyond rising from the stoning is that he went back into the city. 
I mean, this has this has just perplexed me to some extent, but I, I keep, you know, I read a lot of commentaries about this, and you know, a lot of people don't say anything, at least not too much, about him going back in to the city. I wanted to know why. I suppose we can only suppose or conjecture some of this, but first of all, it's important for us to know that Paul didn't flee the place of his execution. He didn't just flee, didn't run in fear. He went back into the city. Now, I'm not saying that he went back into the city uh, to show his adversaries, you know, that they failed. You know, you thought you had got me, but look at me. Yeah, that's not Paul. As a matter of fact, I believe Paul, when he went back in, he went back in very wisely, you know, with, with discernment at night, possibly. But he went back into the city. And secondly, he didn't stay very long. Verse 20 reminds us that the next day he left with Barnabas to Derba. But whether there was any major significance in his returning to the city of Lystra or not. Now, it's possible also that there was a contact made with Timothy because we know that after you know, the, his return as we go to Derba and then go back retracing the steps as we'll see in a moment, that this would be the time that uh, Timothy now joins Paul in ministry. So there might be that particular connection. But whether there was any major significance in his returning to the city of Lystra or not, it does say a lot about Paul's resolve to follow Christ in obedience. And the next passage confirms that. If you look at verse 21, it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. This is in Durba now. They move on uh, east uh, to Durba. They made many disciples. What did they run into along the way? They run into really a, a lot of opposition. But now we see that they preach the gospel in Derba. Many disciples are made. They return now. Notice retracing their steps. They return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, strengthening the soul of the disciples, or the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, and notice, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Paul Certainly had learned that lesson, but now Paul is teaching that lesson. And if he, you know, he didn't need a, uh, you know, a felt board, he just had his body. He says, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of heaven, or of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church, notice, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. Their work was not yet over in Asia Minor. Paul and Barnabas from Derba retraced their steps going back through the cities where they had been persecuted and from which they had been rejected so as to strengthen those left behind to do the work of the ministry, those that had come to Christ, those that had received the Lord, those that were now the members of the body of Christ in these particular regions, they go to strengthen them as well as to teach them. And they did a number of things. I'm going to give you four things that we see here that they did. The first is they gave encouragement. They gave encouragement. To the saints called to live for Christ in hostile pagan communities. I can tell you this, this occurs today as well. 
There are many missionaries in, 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 in foreign lands today. Lands that are hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hostile, hostile to the name of Jesus. Hostile to Christians. And in many cases, not only persecuting Christians physically, but killing Christians. That's going on today. We can't turn a blind eye to that. We can't put our heads in the sand like the proverbial ostrich. These things are happening. Here in Calvary Chapel, we keep in touch with ministries like Gospel for Asia and Voices of, Voice of the Martyrs. And we consider these things in prayer. We, we have to consider them. And we want to encourage you to consider them. Gospel for Asia is a, is a ministry there. Uh, K.P. Yohanan, who uh, actually has been here with us uh, many years ago, and I hope he may come back again to, to remind us of the things that, uh, that God is doing in these, in these countries. But, but the saints need encouragement. Secondly, they taught the believers. So it wasn't a matter of just encouraging, it was a matter of teaching them, especially this particular lesson. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And I can assure you this, when, when, when you see the, the growth of the church from the book of Acts, well on past and beyond the book of Acts to where we are today, and even ourselves having to come through a time when, when, when we've had such, kind of a, a milquetoast gospel, you know, where, where, where the mindset has been at, at times, you know, if you just, just receive the Lord and everything's going to be good for you. And if you come to Jesus, you're going to have everything you want, everything you need, everything you desire, everything is going to be yours and all of these things. And there's no sense of, of, of understanding repentance from sin or there's no understanding of, of the very fact that you must go through tribulations as a believer because it's not a rosy thing. You know, the, the great reward, of course, for us is that it will be with Christ forever in eternity in heaven. But until then... We're Christ's representatives and we trust the Lord to get us through this life for His sake and for His glory. But the idea here is, is that, that we need to, 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 to teach the truth. And that was always Paul's desire, to teach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to teach the truth of the Word of God. But then in establishing that, there comes the organization of the church, so they organize the church. And here, for the first time in the book of Acts, we find the appointment of elders, which was to become Paul's natural pattern of church organization. And by the way, that took a lot of teaching in a very little time. As we'll read on in the life of Paul, as we go on into the book of Acts, we're going to see that he spent many, many t- uh, months, sometimes years, in certain places, teaching them the Word of God. And he himself says I sh- that he did not shun to teach the whole counsel of God. That is what we believe is what we've been called to do for you, is to teach you the whole counsel of God. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And then they prayed for the churches. I mean, it was, I'm sure, the first thing that Paul did and the last thing that Paul did. You know, some people say, you know, Paul goes in and he does all of these things, and then he prayed for the church. Yeah, but Paul was a a praying man. I believe that when he came in, he prayed for them. He prayed for them when they were, you know, were doing their studies, and he prayed for them at the end of the study, and he prayed for them when they had their meals, and he he was just one who taught them how to pray. Read the beginnings of Paul's letters, and you see how much he prayed for the church. What was he doing? He covered these small young churches in interceding prayer. Are we praying for those to whom we witness Christ and for the church as well? Are we in constant prayer for those 
who need Christ. Let's not forget that it's not about us, it's about the Lord. And the Lord has called us to make disciples of every nation. So now when we get to the very end of the chapter, we discover something quite marvelous. I want you to look at verses 26 to 28, and it's in verse 26 that I want you to see this. From there they sailed to Antioch, and that would be the Antioch in Syria, where they had been commended to the grace of God, and notice, for the work which they had completed. That's what's marvelous about this. For the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, there in Antioch of Syria, they reported all that God had done with them, and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. But here's the marvelous thing. The work which they had completed. In other words, the task was done. Now this was just the first leg of of, of three journeys that Paul takes. This was the first phase of those uh, missionary journeys. But nonetheless, this first phase, the task was done. That is a great thing to be able to say. How many Christians start out in some work but have yet to finish that work? I mean, many have been given a task to, to do, but because of hardships or, or even divisions or persecutions or, or some sort of trial, you know what they end up saying? They say, I think I better quit. You know, I think of this um, illustration of a, of a man going into a mine to dig for gold and he, you know, chops away at the rock and you know spends weeks months you know just going away and little by little taking all this rock out but just eventually just getting tired I'm just tired I'm not finding any gold whatsoever no gold at all finally gives up and he puts his stuff away and he goes out and somebody else you know he sells that little you know stake of, uh, and, and, and then this other guy this my guy comes to the mine and he goes in and you know he, he digs for about an inch and a half and there's the mother load. There's the gold. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And it has to do with even the calling that God has given us. We continue on until the task is done. May I say that the victory is not to those who start, it is to those who finish. The victory is not to those who start. The victory is to those who finish. And if you think that I thought that up now, I didn't say that. Jesus did. Jesus did. In Matthew 10, 22, He says to His disciples, And you will be hated by all for My name's sake. But then notice what He says. But he who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. You know, Paul did that not only here. But throughout his entire life, when he came to the the very end of his life, he was able to write to Timothy these words. Words that I believe are some of the most precious words of the heart of Paul to his son in the faith. Because of the lessons that it teaches. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, Paul says. And the time of my departure is at hand. 
Let's go back to that verse for just a moment. The time of my departure is at hand. I like that. You know, first of all, Paul didn't say the time of my death is at hand. He didn't say that. He said the the time of my departure is at hand. You go to the airport today, you're going to have to take a flight out. It, It doesn't say arrivals and deaths. It says arrivals and departures. You're going someplace. Paul says, I'm going someplace. I may be done in this life, but I'm going someplace. My departure's at hand. But then he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. This was not some idle boast. This was a humble declaration of a life of daily dying to live the life to glorify Christ. A life of daily dying to live to glorify His Lord and Savior. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. He finished well. God has called us to finish well. There might be some bumps along the way. Give thanks to God that He is a merciful and gracious God. And a loving God. A a God that corrects us when we need to be corrected because He loves us. Not to punish us, but to teach us. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. It reminds me of that statement in Hebrews chapter 12. And he tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know what that means? The author and finisher of our faith, the beginning and end of our faith. In other words, the starting line and the finish line of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, He starts us, He finishes with us. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, and despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We start well with Jesus, let's end well with Jesus. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. Lastly, consider the words, if you will, of Luke, when he writes in verse 27 of our text. He said, they reported all that God had done with them, and that He opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. I want you to notice something here. Paul and Barnabas come back to to, uh, those that were in Antioch of Syria, and, and this is what they report. You'll notice that, first of all, that there is no mention of reporting the stoning or the animosity shown to them by both Jew and Gentile. I'm sure that when they saw Paul, they said, what happened to you? So I'm sure that he said, well, you know, God, I got stoned, but man, you should have seen what God did. <laughs> that was the attitude. That was the excitement of knowing that God was doing these things. They were reporting what God was doing, what God was in charge of, what God was accomplishing in their ministry. There is no reporting of depressing news here, at least for us. There were victories and the glory goes completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it when our, when, when, our, um, when our missionaries come home and, and they're here for a few weeks and, and we get a chance to talk to them and hear what's going on. And, you know, from time to time there's some mention of a little struggle here and there, but, but the, the, the glory is 
to see their faces when they talk about the wondrous things that God is doing in their ministries. It's almost like, man, it's just a wonderful thing to see what God is doing. Why? Because we serve Him. The other things are those bumps in the road. Oh, well, we had a little bump in the road. How was your trip back to, from Mexico? Oh, well, you know, it was fine. You know, the car broke down a couple of times. But it's, we're here. It's attitude. It's realizing God is in control from beginning to end. And we need to trust Him in that thing that God does. Some people are really happy with me. It's okay. You can clap. I don't mind. <laughs> Folks, let's, let's close this, with this thought. Paul died to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul died to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. The question for us is this. Are we living just to die? In other words, well, I live, tomorrow I die. Are we living just to die? Or are we dying daily so that Christ will live in and through us? I've been crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I want to close with Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 to understand even more what, Paul, what Paul's passion was. He says, Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the goal. I press. The word is is, is having to do with, with, with contention. It has to do with agonizing. It has to do with dying. Athletes die daily to become great at what they do. If they don't, they don't win the prize. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I die to myself. I die to the flesh. I die to sin. But I live unto Christ. And that is the lesson that the Lord would have us to take from that very simple picture of Paul. Being stoned, in effect dying, rising up. And going in, continuing to serve the Lord. Shall we pray?